Welcome to Photoactive, a podcast about photography and technology. I'm Kirk McElhern. And I'm Jeff Carlson. You can find show notes, including any photos we discuss in this episode at photoactive.co. That's photoactive.co. Hey, Jeff, have you been taking a lot of photos lately? As a matter of fact, I have. Really? A lot? Like a lot or just, you know, a few like one a day? More than I had before. Um, At least, well, sort of about one a day with a few bursts of getting out for the weekend kind of a thing. But yes. It's it's true. I I see on Instagram that you went camping. Yes. Yes. We went camping um, and like... Looking at August compared to maybe July and June put together, it's definitely been an uptick in in actual shooting, which has been really nice. Yeah. So we set ourselves a challenge. Um, I think we decided on this in early July. Um, our challenge was that we would each shoot. I don't like the word shoot here. We would each create one photo a day. It means we could shoot 100, but we'd pick a photo a day. We'd end the day with at least one photo that was sort of a keeper. And also, when you say create one a day, that just made my mind, of course, go into post-production. And I was thinking, oh, my gosh, I could have just gone back and edited something old. But no, that wasn't the point. We were trying to to actively uh, shoot every day and try to, to end up with something, as you said, that we'd be happy enough to share. Right. And part of the reason is that we've talked about this sort of thing in the past. We've talked about constraints. We've talked about um personal projects, et cetera. And we figured this would be a good way for us to actually put our money where our mouths are. Well, this is kind of the strange thing about what we do. I mean, you know, we're both uh, professional writers. We also shoot photos. And uh, maybe I'm I'm projecting onto you. But for me, <laughs> I find that I often – uh, it, it's it's very easy to give advice and say, well, yes, you should go out in your garden because there are lots of things to photograph. And then I get really busy or um, – I, I mean just you know, the last several months, I've been very, very busy with, with work projects. And so I come to that point where I'm like, oh, I have not actually really taken many photos recently. What I thought about while we were doing this is that – It spurs us to think of photography, it spurs me at least, to think of photography in a different way. Definitely. Um, It spurred me to think of not just waiting for opportunities. It it made me look around for things when I didn't necessarily have a lot of time to look around for things. It it changed the way I was looking at the world. It it activated my eye in some ways. Of course, we have the complications of COVID, um, lockdown, fear of dying if you go out and someone coughs on you. Um, You said you had work projects. For me, the first day of the month was the first day of the European Shakuhachi Society's online festival. And it was five hours a day over two weekends. So I was very busy for those two weekends. In fact, my first photo um, is of my Shaku, one of my Shakuhachis on my desk. And the photo I picked from the Sunday following, so the end of the festival, was another Shakuhachi photo. Um, So the weekends for me were quite busy. Um, work wasn't too busy, but then it got busy. And these days, most of the photos I shoot are within walking distance from where I live. Um, a couple of them weren't, uh, there was one day at the end of the month when we got really brave. We said, what if we go out? 
what if we get what? in the car and drive someplace? And we actually drove into <laughs> Stratford-upon-Avon, which was relatively empty. This is about seven o'clock at night. It was relatively empty. So one of the pictures is of the, the house where Shakespeare was born. Um, we went around to Anne Hathaway's cottage and we went to a couple of the tourist sites. It was relatively empty, but it's the first time that I've actually been in town in months. And your car started. That's the good. The car started. Well, we <laughs> use the car regularly at a minimum to go pick up groceries. Um, oh, okay, we, good. we order groceries, what they call click and collect. You order online, you go pick it up outside the store. So yeah. we do that at least once a week. So, um, but what I found about the process was it makes you rethink what you're doing with photography when you have, when it's not just the random moments that attract you, it kind of forces you to think of photography at different times. And and there were days when I'd be sitting at my desk and working and it's like, okay, it's five o'clock, it's the end of the day. Oh no, I've got to go take a photo. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, I think for me, this was one of the big surprises. So j- just to, to set out our, our parameters, we were not super strict about this. Our idea was just, let's take one picture every day in August. And... And have it be something that we'd be willing to share both with each other, and we'll talk a little bit about how we did that, but also uh, share with with all of the listeners. And we'll have links in the show notes, of course, so you can see what we did and what we came up with. And uh, for me, it sort of sounded like an easy assignment. Like, all you got to do is go make one picture, right? Mm-hmm. And... Uh, because it was open-ended, like, of course, I could have just, I mean, I could have closed my eyes and stuck my hand out the window and, and snapped a picture of something. But of course, I'm not that careless. And I know that you're all going to be looking at these photos. So even though I would not say that these are the best photos I have ever taken, a lot of them, you know, are are perfectly fine. And either, uh, and this also ties into stuff we've talked about before. There are some photos in there that may not be really great photos, but they have meaning for some reason. The circumstances have meaning to me. And so all of that just sort of came bubbling up unexpectedly for this thing that I I pictured as a mechanical exercise of, okay, go outside, take a picture of something or go or stay inside, you know, switch to that that photographer's eye where I'm I'm looking at composition and light and shadow and and all of that. And it surprisingly was a deeper exercise than I thought. Yeah. Now, I had an additional constraint that you didn't. I decided that I was going to shoot all of this with my um, Fujifilm 35-millimeter lens, so that's a 50-millimeter right. equivalent. Um, all of it at minimum ISO of 1600. If you remember, um, in a previous episode, I mentioned that um, as my snapshot, my idea was use high ISO for the grain. Um, and all in black and white, there's only one exception. Well, there's two exceptions. There's one exception in color, a photo of a squirrel, because squirrel in black and white isn't that great. And another exception is on the 30th of August, I gave up and I took an old photo and re-edited it a bit. And then on the 31st, I didn't shoot any. However, I got 30 photos. You only got 26. So I win. You totally win. Yes. Well, and that also goes back to for anybody who wants to do this, and we definitely encourage you to do this. It was also important to not be like really hard on ourselves, or at least for me to be hard on myself. For it there not were some to be days, a chore. Exactly. For not to be a chore. There were some days that, as you'll see, 
there are shots from the same day that I I repeated because I really liked a shot and I didn't have anything that one day. So, you know, if this were a like a class assignment, I probably would have failed miserably because I didn't follow the letter of the assignment. But at the same time, this was my own assignment. And if I didn't end up with 30 or 31 photos, that's okay. One thing I find interesting about your photos is there's a lot of black and white, and you don't really shoot black and white that much, do you? That is entirely your fault, Yep. quite honestly, because you were shooting in black and white, and that helped me see everything else in black and white. Oftentimes, when I make black and white, I either have a very specific idea of a scene that should be in black and white. Maybe it has high contrast or whatever. But quite often, I'll look at something, and maybe it's just sort of okay in color. And I can either spend a lot of time messing with the color, but I'll usually convert it to black and white and just see how that looks. The simple truth is you can make a mediocre image a bit better by converting it to black and white often. Now, I I want to take umbrage with that. You can't necessarily make a mediocre image better, but you can take an image where the colors get in the way of the shapes and make it better with black and white. Yes, yes. And also, I will say, to defend myself, you can make a mediocre image better. I didn't necessarily say you could make a mediocre image good. Mm. And I think that's a that's a distinction. Okay. So, I think in all of the black and white cases that I have here, actually, and again, I'm blaming you directly, I was actually shooting with the black and white uh, Acros simulation turned on. So I was actually shooting those in black and white, I think with the exception of maybe a few, because you were coming up with these great black and white photos. It just made me say, all right, this seems like an assignment that would be good for me to just think in black and white where where necessary. Right. So when I was shoot, when I shoot in black and white, I always turned it on in the camera. So I'm seeing in black and white. And I think that's necessary. Black and white shouldn't always be in afterthought. Sometimes it can. You shoot in color, you think, how would it look in black and white? But if you really want to shoot black and white regularly, you have to get yourself into that mode where you're seeing in black and white. For, for me, Acros, the film simulation, is a film stock. It's like back in the film days, I would choose either black and white or color to put in my camera. I wouldn't have options. Of course, I'd look through an SLR and see the world in color. Mm-hmm. Unlike now, the advantage we have is that we see it in black and white. But uh, if you just take a color image and try it in black and white, that's not always the best way to do it, I think. One of the surprises that I found is sometimes when I was shooting in black and white, so one of the great advantages if you're shooting in RAW especially, you can shoot with your simulation in black and white. And when you get the RAW file, the RAW file is still going to be in color because it's 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 just the RAW data. Right. And so uh, there was one example. Um, I want to say it is like maybe the f- sixth or seventh uh, photo that I shot. I was shooting a colander full of blackberries. And I, I had the, the acro simulation on and I had some interesting angles and, you know, just kind of messing about, which was also kind of a nice thing about this, this assignment, which was just giving yourself the freedom to, you know, just spend 10 minutes shooting a bowl of fruit that you picked. The one that I ended up sharing is actually in color because the colander was red, but I was shooting with a macro lens and it's super close. And it has 
like it almost looks like a black white image, but there's there's a little bit of a, a of a purple tone to it. Well, it's almost monochrome in the sense that it's reddish purple, sort of wine red and white. Exactly. And so that was kind of a nice surprise because when I when I brought it into Lightroom and looked at it there, of course, Lightroom uh, discarded the Acros preview. And so normally what I do then is I'll just select everything and apply Acros as the, the color profile. So I get back to what I saw when I was shooting. And in this case, that popped out to me and I was like, oh, well, I'm, I'm going to try this one in color. And that's the one that I liked. One of your photos early on that I think is just stunning is the photo of a wine glass on, I guess it's on a windowsill or on the edge of a... It's a deck, deck railing. That's a stunning, that's a stunning example of black and white photography. You've got vivid shapes, you've got um, contrast, you've got the black bottom, I guess the railing of the deck. You've got the interesting image that's inverted of whatever the alcohol is in the glass um, that, that to me is a very strong image. Thank you. It was a very strong drink. So it was, it was perfect. <laughs> what was it? Actually, it was some white wine. Uh, it must've been very sweet because there's, there's long legs on it. Do you know what the legs are in wine? Yes. The little, little curlies that, that the stick little to drops the side. That come down. Yeah. 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 The, the, the more alcohol there is or sugar, um, the longer the legs are. Ah, but it yeah, was I, I found that quite a stunning photo. And um, another another one that I really like is you've got this one of a boat, which when I look at it, it's almost abstract. And it takes a while to see it because you have some really interesting framing. Um, you've got the boat and the reflection and then the guy lines holding onto the boat. That was an example of sort of the reverse of something that I shot in color. But when I saw it, I absolutely was thinking black and white. Like I didn't I – didn't, uh, make the effort to switch into the acro simulation. But I knew because it was very angular, that was a shot that was pure composition. And I knew that it was going to end up in black and white. I noticed we both took a few photos of food. Um, in your case, what what was your thing? Is it kind of, um, it's not an omelet. I say mint leaves and eggs and tomatoes. What is it? Oh, yes. It's, um, it was delicious. Okay. <laughs> it looks good. Um, yeah, it's basically like like a one pan bake. It's got garbanzo beans or chickpeas, depending on where you are. Uh, mint leaves, eggs, uh, just this this like nice tomatoey kind of mixture. I have to admit, I kind of felt like I was cheating that day because. <laughs> okay, here we are. This is probably four or five days in, and here I am taking an iPhone snap of food. And like, I, I, I seriously had that thought of, is this allowed? I mean, because this, it's, it's so pedestrian now to just sort of say, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, shoot a picture of whatever I'm eating. Yeah. Uh, but it, it turned out really good. I did a little bit of, of placement. You see, there's some, some like flatbread over on the side that I kind of fanned out. Like I, I was deliberate about it. It wasn't just a, a quick snap, but I liked the colors. And um, again, it it sort of represented that day. I didn't shoot anything else that was interesting. And at the end of the day, I kind of liked that the best. 
Yeah. So in mine, around the same day, I think, I took one photo of part of the food display in the farm shop that's next door to my house. So um, my landlord is the local farmer. He has 200 acres and he has his farm shop. It's the size of a garage. In fact, it's probably an old garage. And it's got an honesty box. So you can weigh your food and pay your money. And so you can see some of the food that was there. And I just thought it was interesting because this is like the ultimate artisanal fresh um, fruits and vegetables. Um, yeah. He's got courgettes, also known as zucchinis in your country, um, mushrooms and a couple of tomatoes that come locally. And I thought that this spoke a bit uh, about lockdown, in fact, because my partner and I are taking advantage of this farm shop to have lots of fresh vegetables um, mm-hmm. pretty much you know, any day, any time of the day. The other day I made leek and potato soup and I said, oh, I need more garlic. I'll just go to the farm shop. <laughs> it's that easy. Nice. <laughs> um, that's that's and, so much better than having to go to go to a store. I want to say one of the things about this this shot is I would totally expect this shot to be in color because you've got the tomatoes yeah. and you've got the greens and you've got like all, all of that. Yeah. But at the same time, it really, really works in black and white. And actually for me, the fruit – and the vegetables, those don't stick out to me. For me, it's the signs and exactly. the stapler and the window and like yep. that sticks out to me. And I think if you had done it in color, it would have been all about the food itself and then everything else would have gone in the background. Exactly. This way, what, what I wanted to photograph that. What I wanted to photograph was the signs, the handwritten signs, um, the, the bit, the courgette where he's pasted a new price over it on an envelope because they're either cheaper or more expensive than they were previously. Yeah. Um, the, the way it's all sort of improvised. Um, mm-hmm. and, and it's actually an interesting little shop because it is improvised and, and yet it's very professional in the sense that they've got lots of good products. Um, so my other food was a few weeks later, I made some Irish soda bread and it was coming to the end of the day. Didn't have anything, didn't have any photos. I said, I'm going to take a picture of my food. Your same logic earlier. <laughs> it's like, well, we've got a picture of food, but. What turns out is that Irish soda bread is incredibly interesting in black and white. So much texture. Yeah. Yeah. And so you've got the light from the window behind it. You've got the shadows. Um, I, I think – I don't think it's a great photo, but I think as a, as a study, it's kind of interesting to look at that particular thing and how the black and white is working. Oh, yeah, definitely. Well, and you're activating your brain in that sense of, okay, here's this this thing that I see every day and look at how the light is hitting it and look at how the shadow is falling off. And, the you know, like the lower half is not in complete shadow. You've got some sort of uh, fill going on, maybe reflected off of uh, who knows what. Mm. But, you know, that and also uh, what, what sort of counters do you have? Is, is that like, like thin bamboo? Maybe? Yeah, it's or? one of those Ikea bamboo things. Oh, okay, yeah. Where they paste together a bunch of bamboo. It's like four inches thick. Um, it's oh. a great workspace, by the way. Um, yeah. If you ever need a kitchen workspace. Bamboo is very solid, but it doesn't dull your knife. Mm-hmm. So it's quite good. Having that at the diagonal rather than trying to do like like a typical top-down kind of shot yeah. also adds adds to this. Yeah. No, I, I thought that worked out really well. One of the things that I notice about your photos, which is not a surprise, uh, especially compared to mine, is there are a lot more geometric shots here yeah. where you're really looking at you know geometric shapes. I mean, you have a, a an umbrella or a... Um, it's a canopy of a gazebo. 
canopy of a gazebo. Yeah. Which is like, I can tell immediately what it is, although I couldn't get the right word there. <laughs> this is all about angles and, and just like a peak of the sky and the clouds up there. Well, this is actually an interesting photo for just for the context. So um, we had a socially distanced family gathering. Um, my partner's brother wanted to come visit and he has type 1 diabetes, so he is at risk. Um, he rented one of the holiday cottages that my landlord rents. And then it turned out that my partner's daughter and granddaughters were on the way back to Manchester from the south. And they said, oh, I wonder if we could stop by. So we couldn't keep them in our house. So they, they stayed in another holiday cottage. They only stayed for a few days. Mm-hmm. We couldn't keep them in our house. And this was, let's see, this was taken on August 6th. Um, this was the week where we had weather in the um, low low to mid-60s with rain, and then a couple days later in the high 80s. Wow. Um, and this we had to do all this in the garden with this gazebo with chairs and tables underneath it. It was actually not simple because mm-hmm. of the complicated weather. Um, but this was the end of the day, I think, with a glass of wine, had my camera. I look up and it's like, oh, it's there, that kind of thing. Yeah. Those are great, great moments to find, especially uh, as we've talked about, like your eye is going to be more attuned to looking for things like that. One question I have about your photos, how many of these, if any, did you do any sort of setup? Are these all found situations or there's, were there any that you... There's one that was a setup. There's really only one. In fact, I don't like setting up photos. I like finding things. Mm-hmm. Um, can you... I, I'm sure you can spot the one that is set up. Is it the one with the, the triangular shapes? No, those are little planters that are sitting on an old oh, bench in the garden that my partner put there waiting to nail them onto a wall someplace. No, there's one that's really obvious. How is it that I'm missing them? The one with the five stones on the bottom. Oh. You don't just like toss five stones and they go into a star position on, you know, th- this we shot, on, I shot on the patio. Um, the, the stones just don't land like that. <laughs> but no. They, That's a good point. They're all, th- to be fair, the two Shakuhachi photos are sort of set up to get the light right. Um, uh-huh. But they were already on the desk and I was thinking, okay, how can I photograph them? Um, but everything else is just a found photo in the sense that, um, I, I don't like setting up, unless I'm shooting flowers or something, I don't mm-hmm. like setting up photos. I like discovering something that's out there that I haven't seen and that you, you put that frame around and all of a sudden, as the great Gary Winogrand quote goes, um, I photograph things to find out how they looked when they're photographed. Yeah. So I have, I think, two shots that are deliberately set up. And I think both of them involve coffee. Uh, no, actually those are kind of found. Um, well, I guess you could say that those are, well, no, those aren't set up because I was making coffee and that was the important part. And (laughs) while it was, while it was being made, I, I just had my phone nearby. There's one shot of, of espresso, which like, I'm almost kind of embarrassed by. It really didn't involve very much work. It's really not a great, uh, (laughs) photo. It's really not even a great espresso pull, but it was getting to the end of the month and I realized that I was behind and I was like, okay, you know what? This is going to work. And um, you hadn't done any coffee photos yet. 
and I hadn't done any coffee photos, which seems really uh, out of character for yeah. me. So I guess I really was trying to think out of the box. Uh, no, the the two shots that that were set up, one of them you can see my wife and my daughter from overhead. Yeah, they're working on on a rock project, and that was. Uh, you know, they're out in the yard being adorable. And so I, I like went and I got my drone and flew it over the top of them to get an actual top down shot, not me, you know, awkwardly balancing on a I was wondering or about that. Yeah. I was yeah. wondering if it was maybe you were, you were somehow with a tripod out of a window upstairs in your house or something. That, that could have also worked, but I, I decided to do this. And of course, you know, what you don't see is them sort of patiently uh, enduring the fact that there's a sound yeah. right above them. The only other one that was like very deliberately set up, and actually it took a long time for me to get this shot, was the one of me sitting in a corner yeah. of our living room working on my laptop. And that was purely, it was late, I'd reached the end of the day, and I had not shot anything at all. And... This is also a, an example of one of those that, you know, it's it's not a great shot, but I was writing my dad's obituary at the time. Oh. And so I kind of wanted okay. to sort of memorialize that a little bit. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, th this isn't a sort of award-winning shot, but it's that example of something that, that I'm, I'm going to be able to look back on it and see and feel exactly how I felt at that moment. Okay, you've got one photo, which I think I'm, – I'm going to be very honest with you. I think it's a masterpiece. This is oh. beautiful. It's this photo um, on the ferry. I don't know if that's your wife or daughter leaning over. You can barely see the person. I think it's your daughter. But the colors of the sunset and the colors of the yellowish color inside the ferry, the uh, way it's cut in half on an angle by – this is just a beautiful photo. It's extraordinary. Oh, thank you. That's, that's actually uh, my wife and her sister that were both on the railing there. And I messed with this. So the core of it – is shot as you see it. In fact, maybe I'll try to, to put in like a before and after because I was, you know, very much trying to get that that's beautiful sunset. It's a clear sky, but you have like oranges and purples and, and also have the, the light from inside the ferry. And I tried a lot of different things to try to bring up the shadows so we could see them a little bit better. And then it just it just drew attention to the big flat side of the of the ferry there. So I yeah. just left them in in silhouette. Um, and you can and barely actually, see them. You have to right. zoom in to see them. You don't notice them otherwise. Right, right. And I think that's, that works better. But it's the contrast of the different colors of the reddish in the sky, of the bluish purple in the sea, um, and the yellow and the green in the ferry that I think is just wonderful. That was one of those times when I, I was very deliberately shooting and, and, and knowing what I would get. How long is that ferry crossing? This was going from Anacortes to... One of the islands. I have no idea um, what that means. <laughs> I'm just thinking you had plenty of time. You saw the light and you had plenty of time to get in position to check your um, to check your exposure, to try different shots. And Yes, absolutely. So, so the, this ferry crossing takes about an hour. Right. And um, actually, we'd come up on deck because uh, they had announced over the, the PA that there were, um, I think – orcas in the water or, or some orcas had, had been spotted. And of course we got up there and we didn't see anything, but 
turned around and the the sunset started doing all of this this great color and so i was able i mean this right here i was able to shoot for maybe 10 minutes or so yeah so yeah there i i have a whole lot of versions of this there's one that i almost used that had the silhouette of a, like a father and his son going through the door there but then it drew away from the the symmetry of, of yeah. the two colors. Yeah, yeah. No, I think that's wonderful. Well, thank you. You're welcome. We should do these. We should do these podcasts more often where we compliment <laughs> each other. <laughs> I, I have to say, I'm not. I don't have many keepers in in mine. Um, I, I think there are a couple good photos, but most of them are done for a project and will yeah. just you know serve that purpose. Yeah, um, I, I'm not particularly pleased with. It's it's kind of hard in this situation where you don't really have a lot of time. It's the end of the day. You're tired. You know, uh, some of them I shot during the day, maybe on the weekend. Um, but in a lot of cases, it's the end of the day. Or uh, there's one is my neighbor's son in front of a door trying to untangle one of these things you hang clothes on to dry. And I was just walking around with my camera, and he was there, so I took a few shots. I mean, I don't take photos of people very often. There's one of my partner um, early up. But it, it, is, it is a difficult process to go out and find something because it's not just finding a photo. It's finding something different from what you've done the other days in the month. And as the month goes on, it gets more difficult. Yeah. I think it's remarkable that there are only four pictures of cats in this whole collection. Right. Yeah. So like, that's, that's me. I applaud your restraint and your like – Good job. <laughs> yeah. So, so the one of Rosalind looking face on to the camera, she's the white cat. That's late at night, and it's like, okay, I, I got nothing. Um, <laughs> uh, the others were, I'm outside, and I'm just, I honestly, just don't have the energy to think of taking photos. You know, it's like at, at specific times, energy is gone, and you've got to, you've got to maybe just give up and just take photos without thinking too much at that time. Yes. Actually, th that is a great point because this does require energy. And that's something that I didn't really expect because you're like, look, there's stuff all around us. All I have to do is take one picture a day. That doesn't sound so hard. And, you know, maybe we're making it more difficult on ourselves than we need to. But, you know, you and I have uh, expectations for ourselves to make something that is that is good. So, you know, yes, absolutely. We could have just gone out and blindly snapped whatever, but that would not be good enough for us. No. And I'm not even trying to say that in sort of a, you know, pretentious kind of way. It's just, you know, we're, this is photography. This is, this is what we like to do and we want to do it well. And yeah. it, it surprisingly does take a lot of energy, even, you know, to, to either set something up or just to, just to walk around and, and look with that intention it's not like you can just be doing something else and turn and take a snap a picture over here. Like, you know, that, that happens occasionally, but. And, Plus, and we're in lockdown, me. more or less. Um, it's sort of dangerous to go outside and to go into closed spaces. Yeah. Um, if, if you were to, if you lived in a city, it might be easier to just go wandering and, 
take pictures of people and cars and buildings. Um, you're in the suburbs of Seattle, so your kind houses of, yeah. all look alike, I assume, and you don't have too many people down the streets all the time. So you can't do your standard street photography of, you know, person walking in front of an interesting wall. Um, <laughs> yeah. for, for me, I'm in a rural area, so there's not a lot of options. Um, and again, the, the weather was either very cold or very hot, and yeah, there's all sorts of excuses, obviously. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I, I think I think this is an interesting project for anyone just to rethink what it involves to take photos, what it what it means to get photos that you want to photos that are good enough. Not always great, but good enough. I mean, personally, I think I've only got one or two that I consider keepers. Um I think you've got more keepers than I do, uh, maybe because you went to more locations and you had more opportunities. Yeah, um, yeah, that could be. But I think the good enough is worth considering. We shouldn't always consider that our photos have to be great because we're not professional photographers. We're doing this because we enjoy it. So get photos that are good enough. Use it as a learning experience to to judge your photos, to maybe you've taken a dozen photos of something and you're trying to pick the one that's best. Um, use it to temper your expectations about photography. Use it to learn how to use your camera, your lens. In my case, I had those constraints, self-imposed constraints, yeah. a specific lens, black and white, except for the one shot of the squirrel and the shot of the squirrel that I'm trying to get rid of. He's very difficult to get rid of. Um, <laughs> Think of the many things you can do that will get you – so in my case, I, I tend to shoot the 35-slash-50-millimeter um, focal length quite a bit. But it might have been a good experience for me to shoot a 16-millimeter, right, for a month until you know that kind of lens. Um, I shoot an aperture priority. Maybe I should have shot in shutter priority, again, to, to get to know that sort of technique on the camera. Mm -hmm. And also, I think, I almost hate to say this, but if we had continued this for another month or three months or six months, I do believe that the quality would improve just because photography is one of those things. The more you do it, the better you're going to get. Uh, just just the more you're thinking about it, the more you're, you're shooting. Um, but, and maybe I shouldn't admit this, I need a break. Yeah. Like this wasn't difficult or taxing, but it sort of was. And maybe it's just because of everything else that's going on right now. I, I think that we both signed on for something where we were committed and that we were doing it, showing it to each other. So we had to maintain yes. that commitment throughout the month. Um, neither of us wanted to look like we were failing, even though neither of us would have blamed the other if we did fail. Totally, um, totally. But there was, I wouldn't call it competition, but there was that sense of, okay, he's doing one, now I got to do one. For instance, I have a shot of some bees on a, um, a birdbath because the day before or that morning you had posted a photo with bees. So oh, said, nice. Oh, he's got bees. I got bees too. <laughs> nice. <laughs> So in the show notes, we're going to include the images, the specific images that we've talked about, but we will also post links to the shared photo albums that we created in Apple Photos app, which actually was a great way for us to be able to just automatically see what the other had been up to. 
Yeah, so we each created an album and we would each add the photos as we finished them. And so I'd often get up in the morning and find a notification on my iPhone saying, oh, here's a new photo from Jeff. And Jeff would get up in the morning and he'd see the same thing. And once you um, access a shared album, it shows up in the Photos app either on a Mac, an iPhone, or an iPad. So I can keep looking at this album anytime I want. When you're creating this in Photos, uh, in Photos on the Mac, there's an option to invite people. So that's what we did. We invited each other to our, our albums. But there's also a there's also an option just that says public website that will generate an iCloud shared album link. And that's what we're going to use, uh, again, linked in the show notes so that anyone can see our shared albums. And if anyone else wants to try a project like this, um, drop us a link in our Facebook group, and it might be interesting to follow. If there's if there's enough interest, maybe several people might want to work together on a project like this. I think we should do this again sometime next year. Um, yes. I don't particularly want to do it in winter, to be honest, because that's not <laughs> the best time for photography. But maybe in the spring or early summer, um, not in the hottest part of summer. Um, n- not o- August is a bad time for both of us because um, it is. We're, we're preparing for the new Apple operating systems. We've got books and articles. Um, so it's not the ideal time for us. It's not a time when we have a lot of free time. Um, so maybe when we run out of ideas for topics in the podcast um, in the spring, we'll do this again. And maybe we'll do it with a joint constraint. We'll both pick a lens, a, a color black and white, a film simulator. Or we'll find a constraint that we can both do. And maybe what we could do, hey, here's what we'll do. We'll do a project where we'll invite listeners to do the same thing with us and share um, the albums if they want and perhaps with or without a constraint. I think that's a great idea. And actually, I was going to recommend, based on our experience, uh, if – Listeners want to do something like this. Um, it sounds sort of corny, but I would say buddy up because having that responsibility to somebody else to do this, even when you knew, you know, Kirk wasn't going to suddenly unfriend me and stop talking <laughs> to me because I wasn't posting enough enough photos. But having that that responsibility to somebody else, I thought was was actually very motivating throughout the whole process. So again. Come to the Photoactive Facebook group and let's see if anybody wants to start up, buddy up, chime in, uh, share their own photos albums and maybe do this again in October. And people can connect and just let's just see how this works. Because I think it'd be really interesting to, to watch a progression of our listeners as well as just, you know, looking at you and I. Okay. Have you got a snapshot? You mentioned we've been working with the new versions of the Mac operating systems. And so, for example, I've been having to uh, install versions of macOS Big Sur. And so in order to do that, I bought this little tiny SanDisk 16 gig USB memory stick, thumb drive, however you want to want to call memory it. Memory stick. I haven't heard that in years. I know. It, like, I don't even know what the, what the proper Flash term drive, is. Thumb drive. Flash drive, thumb drive. Yeah. Uh, what, what's neat about this is that um, it, it's kind of a gimmick, but you, you slide out one side and it's a USB a plug. You slide out the other side. It's a USB C plug. And, now, how does this relate to photography? 
if you have a uh, like let's say an iPad Pro or you know even your Mac or whatever, 16 gigs isn't a whole lot, but this is something that is super small, super easy. If you just need an on-the-fly backup of your photos, or if you want to take some photos off of your iPad Pro and copy it to something like like this, rather than trying to go through the cloud, this is just like an easy, cheap, I think this cost me like $9 or something. The memory is cheap these days. Kirk, what about you? I have a book yet again. Um, yeah, I, I tend to have books very often. This is a small book, um, not not very thick, a quick read. It's it's by Joel Myrowitz, How I Make Photographs. It's published by it says it's published by Masters of Photography. Remember we talked about them oh, um, yeah. some time ago. Joel Myrowitz has his video course on Masters of Photography, which I took and I really enjoyed. Um, right. And this book is a sort of a capsule um, summary of the course. It's a hundred and 18 pages or something. I read through it in an hour, in part because I'm familiar with what he's talking about. Um, but it's got some wonderful photos in it. He explains how he took some of them. He explains some of the techniques that you need to take photos. It's not about gear. It's about um, anticipating the moment is one chapter. Um, another one is be inspired, etc. Um, it, it's a nice little book, and it gives you, I, I'm saying, I'm going to say probably 100 um, great photos by Joel Meyerowitz. He's really one of my favorite photographers. He started out doing street photography. Um, then he moved to Provincetown and got an old 8x10 view camera and took these extraordinary photos of the sea and the light. Um, and then he moved to – now he's in Italy and he does landscapes. A lot of this book does talk about street photography, so from his early work. Um, but it's it's a nice – I'd say it's a nice inspirational book that talks about how to see, how to find things that are interesting. Um, not too expensive. It's $15, $16. So How I Make Photographs, Joel Myrowitz. Okay, until next week. Until next week. Thank you, everybody. Thanks for listening to Photoactive. You can find show notes, including any photos we discuss in this episode, at photoactive.co. That's photoactive.co. We couldn't afford the M. You can join our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash photoactivecast. That's photoactivecast in one word. You can subscribe to Photoactive in your favorite podcast app or on Apple Podcasts. See the links on our website. And think about leaving us a rating or review in iTunes or in your podcast app.